Chapter Twenty of the Cliff Dwellers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynette Calkins, Monument, Colorado. The Cliff Dwellers by Henry Blake Fuller. Chapter Twenty. Jesse Ogden's supposition with regard to Mary Brainerd was justified by events the poor exile was allowed to come back to town to attend her mother's funeral and thanks to a providential escort she was enabled to bring her child with her the two arrived under the charge of a distant relative by marriage of the centralia brainards who was understood to be on the point of visiting the city anyway for the purpose of buying goods he was presented by the name of briggs he was a somewhat uncouth and slovenly man of thirty-five a fair specimen of the type evolved by the small towns of southern illinois but he had a bright and capable way with him and it seemed likely enough that if he were to transfer himself and his business to chicago as he once spoke of doing he might work himself up into pretty fair shape he was a widower he showed some fitting sense of the solemnity of the occasion that had brought him to the house but it was fair to surmise from various tokens that his usual treatment of the subdued young mother was in the line of familiar kindness which only genuine solicitude kept apart from semi-jocularity a jocularity that had almost the effect of an understanding he seemed to have about the same understanding with the baby he had held it part of the time on the train and he had shown a willingness to be useful in the same direction subsequently Brainard saw the child once. He looked at the boy's dark hair and eyes and vented a dreadful oath, and signified that while he and his mother were in the house the infant must be kept out of sight and out of sound. Abby Brainard made no effort towards further mediation between her father and her sister. The present status was endurable, and there was little to be gained by additional appeal to the irascible old man it was irascibility rather than sorrow which now possessed him nothing irritated him more than an address to the deeper emotions and the passing of his lifelong partner was an address of this character and this irascibility had risen to a pitch of fury on account of the unfortunate resemblance of mary vibert's child to its father abby was still leading her old life in her old way she had her reading her accounts her church work but she went at these with less energy than she had shown a year ago she had lost something in flesh and something in spirits but nothing was slighted she had no confidants and she made no moan what is the matter with her cornelia would now and then ask herself if she would only rip out and say something but i never saw a girl who was so mum i'll get her out of this place though if anybody can she has got to come up there and live with me i'll fetch that if i have to pull her up by the roots and then putting generalization in the place of any tangible particulars i believe she's just starving which was not altogether wrong cornelia found no specific grounds for approaching her father-in-law about abby but she had some words with him about abby's sister she went to him one evening in his den it was the day after the funeral the distant wailing of the baby's voice had caused him to shut the door of his little room with a profane slam. "'Mr. Briggs is right there in the parlor,' she said to him boldly. 
waiting for her to come down. I don't see that it's going to help things any to slam doors. If he don't mind the baby, I guess we don't have to. He turned upon her fiercely and half rose from his chair. It seemed for a moment as if he was intending to put her out of the room. But she stood her ground and stared him full in the face. She was the only one in the family who, when the real pinch came, could look him down. He fell back in his seat and fixed an uncertain eye upon the panels of the door. "'There's such a thing as sense at such places as this, if you'd only know it,' she went on. She spoke out loudly. She knew that if she used a moderate voice, her tones would tremble. "'I should think that we might hold in for the day or so that the man's here. He knows why she was sent off down there, and that's bad enough. But it's worse for him to bring her up here and have her treated bad right before his face. Why can't you speak to her at table? Why can't you have—' "'That will do, Cornelia.' He beat on the arm of his chair with his doubled-up fist. "'We won't have anything more of this sort of thing. That will do.' but there was a kind of harsh grin on his face. He either admired her pluck or anticipated her point. She saw this and knew that she held him in her hand. "'No, it won't do, Cornelia, not yet. Why do you think he is here? Do you suppose a man goes travelling around the country with a woman and a three-months-old baby for the fun of it? And he hasn't come up here to buy goods, don't you believe it? This is a great chance for Mamie, everything considered.' He's a smart fellow, and you don't want to go and spoil it all. This is a thing that will take care of itself, if you'll only give it a show. He stared at her, still rather forbiddingly, but she saw admiration appearing through indignation, and she judged that it was gaining the upper hand. Now, she said, with her own hand on the doorknob, when you ask Mamie tomorrow morning if she would like another piece of steak, I want you to look at her. "'Seems to me this is a time when a family should act like a family, "'and I guess it wouldn't hurt you much to put yourself out far enough "'to ask that man to smoke a cigar with you. "'You try, and I think this door had better stay the way I leave it.' "'She passed out, leaving the door open, and open it remained. "'In such fashion as this came Mary Brainard to her mother's burial, "'but her younger brother came not, and no one knew where he was or what he might be doing. Briggs left for Centralia on the following evening, his charges remaining behind by an inconclusive arrangement that might terminate in almost any way. Cornelia, who attended his departure with a lively interest, noticed that Abby, in her hat and cloak, was trying to take advantage of this same occurrence to steal out of the house. She followed her through the vestibule and overtook her halfway down the steps. "'Abby!' she called after her. "'Where are you going?' "'Shh!' Abby said softly. "'I'm just going out for a few minutes.' "'Neighbors?' "'No, not exactly,' the girl hesitated. "'I'm just going a block or two. "'You don't want to be trotting around alone this time of night. "'Shan't I go with you?' She placed her hand on Abby's arm to draw her back, while she put on her own things— she felt her companion tremble, and saw an expression of anxiety on her face which she took to mean embarrassment. "'No, Cornelia, I don't want you to go with me. I don't need you. I've got to go alone.' "'Upon my word, I think you're acting mighty queer. I just believe, Abby Brainard, that you are going out to meet somebody, you of all people.' Abby started. S "'Suppose I am,' she stammered. "'Who is it?' 
asked Cornelia peremptorily. Only an extremely eager interest would have made her take this tone with Abby. "'Well, I must say, I think your father is a little too bad. Why can't he see that girls have got to be girls? First it's Mamie, and now it's—' "'Cornelia!' cried Abby, with a violent blush and the trembling voice that foreshadows tears. "'It's my brother. It's Marcus.' "'Marcus!' exclaimed Cornelia. "'Then I am going, sure. Where are you to meet him? In the park?' Abby bowed assent. "'Well, then, you wait one second. I'll be right out again.' "'Don't come. He won't speak to me if he sees anybody with me. "'I can stand around anywhere. I won't do any harm.' "'She was actuated as much by curiosity as by sympathy. "'She had never seen Marcus, but she remembered the erring son of her first play, "'and nothing more than one's first play has a fixed footing in one's association of ideas.' the park lay under the cold glare of the electric light in the state of forbidding bareness that overtakes all such urban tracks during the earlier days of spring soggy footprints showed everywhere in the soaked brown turf that bordered the winding paths and masses of dead leaves were matted together at the roots of the spindling shrubbery the arc lights threw a ghastly illumination on the flat white fronts of the houses that stood around in rows outside as well as on the stretches of theatrical posters which filled up the spaces between and they flung deep shadows into the flimsy arbors and kiosks that started up here and there within abby with her companion traversed a number of spongy graveled paths and presently the figure of a man emerged from a summer-house and advanced to meet her Cornelia turned off and paused behind the thickened stalks of a bare bush. "'Marcus!' cried Abby, as her brother moved towards her. "'Marcus, why didn't you come? I waited at the door to let you in. Could anybody have made any trouble at such a time as that?' He came up to her with a few unsteady steps. His eyes were bloodshot, and on his face, which seemed paler and thinner than ever under the white flood from the globe overhead, there was a long, half-healed scar." He looked at her in a dull, dazed way. Perhaps he simply misapprehended these present words. Perhaps he was unable to fully comprehend any words at all. "'You could have gone in a carriage all alone with me,' she went on, in pitiful reproach. "'And you could have stayed in it. You needn't have seen anybody else at all. I wanted you so much. Mamie came. Why couldn't you? Oh, Marcus, you were thought of. Your name was almost the last one said.' She threw her head on his shoulder and burst into tears. He gave way a little, and then, with an effort, he mastered a steadier pose. Her crepe brushed his face. He felt it rather than saw it. Is he dead? Something like light came into his dull eye. The lamp above gave a sudden vast flicker, and the long scar on his face deepened and lengthened and came back to itself again. It was all like a sinister and cynical smile. "'Marcus, don't you know? Where have you been? Haven't you got any of my letters?' He leaned against the silly rusticity of the summer-house, and looked at her with a dazed but inquiring eye. "'It's mother! It's mother!' the poor girl cried. "'Why didn't you come?' "'Why, how is this?' asked Cornelia, stepping forward. "'Hadn't he heard? I mailed them to the same place, and the money, didn't you get that either?' He looked at her steadily and soberly, but his eyes had a heavy droop. "'It's mother,' he said at length. "'It's mother that's dead.' 
he sat down carefully on the steps of the summer-house. And my name was the last? Always the last, Abby. When was it? Has he moved, do you suppose? asked Cornelia. She regarded him long and steadily. She seemed about to recognize him, though voice was apparently counting for more than face. It was only day before yesterday, Abby said. I tried to see you, but it was so far, and there was so much to do. But I sent you word. I haven't been there lately, he said slowly. I couldn't have come day before yesterday, he added presently. Where have I seen him before? thought Cornelia. And what is the matter with him? she seemed to ask of Abby. I couldn't come, he repeated. I'm sorry, he added humbly. I was somewhere else. Have you been away all these three months? I haven't seen you since almost New Year's. Have you been away from the city all this time? I have been somewhere, somewhere else, he repeated thickly. He rose tremblingly. I suppose they'll have me there again sometime. Well, all right, he said with resignation. What does he mean? asked Abby, turning appealingly to Cornelia. Marcus followed his sister's eyes. He looked at Cornelia narrowly, his own eyes half closed. Who is this? he asked. It's Cornelia, Bert's wife. Bert's wife? He held her with an enigmatical stare. I have seen her, he said, before. Where? thought Cornelia. Not possibly at the theater? In church, he explained with a slow gravity. He isn't dead, Bert? Dead? cried Cornelia. No, indeed. No, he isn't dead, Marcus repeated deliberately. His eyelids raised themselves. He is married. He has half a million. He went on with the same slowness. His eye lighted up with a malignant glare. No, he isn't dead, but... He stretched himself aloft and thrust out his arm and staggered and only half saved himself. But I will kill him, he added suddenly. Marcus, his sister screamed. Are you mad? He lay slantingly across the corner of the summer house. His arm caught at the cross pieces of the rustic carpentry, and he hung there panting. Presently, a little stream of blood began to trickle across the palm of his hand. He had torn himself on a nail. He felt the warm fluid on his skin and held up his hand to his own curious and impersonal inspection. "'Give me your handkerchief, Cornelia,' Abby implored pitifully. She folded her own and laid Cornelia's over it and twisted it around his thumb and tied it over his wrist. His fingers felt thin and claw-like, and there was a grime rubbed into their cracked and roughened skin— those girlish fingers, his mother's fingers, that had once held a pencil so delicately. I have seen her before, he repeated. Here. He jerked his hand out of his sister's hold and waved it over the circumscribed and shabby landscape. The light shimmered on the leaden surface of the pond behind them, and the wind rustled the stark weeds along its muddy edges. I knew it was coming. Abby caught his hand back half a million. He never did anything for me. I will kill him, he muttered faintly. Cornelia continued her inspection of him. Abby, just look at these clothes, will you? And he hasn't got any cuffs on, either. Marcus, his sister called appealingly. 
her raised voice indicated that after all she must acknowledge him as other than himself all that money i sent you you need it go right away to-morrow to your old number and get it she turned to cornelia i haven't got any have you i forgot it after all just this half dollar she answered exactly what i paid she said to herself to see him in this part once before she recognized him now she saw that she had been interested in the new actor because nobody else had seemed so and she felt sure that his attempt on the stage had been the same brief failure that all of his other attempts must have been as well marcus raised himself and a sly smile came over his face money he said keep it i don't want it i can raise all i need vibert knew the ropes and now i know them just as well myself i can do business all right again no money abby no he thrust it back upon her he always said i wasn't fit for business but i'll show him he braced himself and stepped out decidedly into the path he turned in the direction of the exit the other two insensibly took this direction as well and fell to regulating their steps by his you are a good sister abby he said as they passed out you have been good to me good he put his hand on hers he had forgotten that it was bandaged there was a soft stringency in the folds of the handkerchiefs but she felt his grateful pulses underneath oh cornelia moaned poor abby i must take him home i must i must so near at hand and the place where he belongs i can't leave him to go wandering around like this marcus laid his bandaged hand on his sister's shoulder no abby the earlier waves of a sodden stupor now seemed to be washing over him and he looked on the two girls with a dull leer not home better place than home but sometime i will come home sometime he never treated me as well as he did bert his tones came thickly i will kill him he murmured softly to himself in a drunken confidence he turned off down a side street Abby stood watching him as he disappeared, to reappear in the light of frequent lamp-posts. Presently he turned a corner. Abby clasped her hand tightly in her companion's and allowed herself to be led home. "'Another job for me,' said Cornelia thoughtfully. End of chapter 20